So today, I will be presenting my ongoing research project titled Parliamentary Politics and Iran-U.S. Relations During the Cold War. Uh, so this is the outline of today's talk. First, research question. The research question of this project is, how did Iran's domestic politics, particularly parliamentary politics, interconnect with the nature of Iran-U.S. relations during the Cold War? Next, I would like to give you the background. The background of this research is related to the significant roles played by Iran-U.S. relations. Although, as you may know, Iran and the U.S. broke up its diplomatic ties in April 1980 due to the U.S. Embassy's hostage crisis following the 1979 revolution, the bilateral relationship was entirely different before the revolution. In fact, numerous research about Iran-U.S. relations, including Professor Abbas Mirani's work, argued that they had the most profound international impact on the rise and fall of Mohammad Reza Shah, who is known as an authoritarian monarch and ruled Iran about four decades until its downfall by the 1979 revolution. During the World War II, Iran-U.S. relations experienced a gradual warming because the Shah wanted the United States to interfere in Iran's domestic affairs, uh, hoping that the rising power of the U.S. would liberate Iran from the persistent imperial ambitions of Britain and Russia. In 1953, Iran-U.S. relations became significantly important. During this time, the CIA supported the coup orchestrated by the Shah and his ally, General Fajoda Zahiri, to overthrow the relatively democratically elected government of Mohammad Mossadegh. The Mossadegh was the leader of the national, nationalist political party, National Front, and was a strong rival to the Shah. Do you know who are the two figures shown in this photo? They were meeting after the coup in December 1953. Does anyone have any thought? <laughs> okay, this is easy. This is the Shah and then one official from the US side. So the, yeah. So it's not here. <laughs> okay. so, so this is a Richard Nixon, the vice president of the Eisenhower administration at that time. So Nixon visited Iran to see the Shah and shake hands with him. It shows their friendship. Then the question is, why did the US intervene into Iran's domestic affairs and support the Shah to remove his political rival, Mohammad Mossadegh? So several reasons have been discussed but according to the Cold War context, the US believed that it was necessary to remove the Mossadegh to prevent the communist takeover in Iran, partly because the Mossadegh government had gained support from the Iran's communist to the party. And another reason for the US intervention was the concern that the power struggle between the Shah and Mossadegh could lead to Soviet interference in Iran Therefore, the U.S. believed that 
supporting the coup and aligning with the Shah would serve as a countermeasure against the perceived communist threat and safeguard their strategic interest in the region. Then I would like to move on to the literature review. So the, after the 1953 coup, the Iran-US relations has been assessed based on economic and security issues. So in terms of economics, scholars have extensively analyzed the Iran's heightened oil export to the US. Furthermore, they paid attention to the sharp increase of US economic aid to Iran after the 1953 and analyzed the US development and technical assistance for the Shah's modernization policies called the White Revolution. The White Revolution is the long-term plan in order to consolidate the monarchical power through various projects, including land reform to curb the influence of landlords, promotion of modern education to diminish the power of religious, um, Islamic religious leaders, and the establishment of a strong bureaucracy to centralize the monarchical power. So in terms of security, scholars brought attention to the formation of a SABAK, or the Shah's secret police, in 1957, in order to ensure the internal security in Iran with the American assistance. So what do you mean by internal security? So if you are interested in the history about like Sabak or their activity, maybe uh, maybe like if you study about Iran, then some of you read about Persepolis, which is famous cartoon of Al-Majatabati, uh, and then the kids are talking about Sabak, so you might be interested in reading it. And um, furthermore, it is widely known that the Shah spent a huge budget for uh, purchasing U.S. arms in order to establish a modern army. So this graph indicates the sharp increase of U.S. military assistance to Iran, um, especially after the 1960s. So um, overall, Previous research about Iran-US relations have developed based on economic and security issues. And this approach is very helpful to understand the US and Shah's communications. However, a major limitation is that they tend to overlook the possible communication between US officials and Iranian elites other than the Shah, especially those who opposed to the Shah. Um, so it is probably because in terms of economic and security issues, the Shah might control almost the entire um, decision-making processes um, where opposition groups are ex well excluded. In contrast, my research focuses on the presence of opposition groups to the Shah and their communication with the US. Why is it necessary? Because the U.S. primary interest at that time was to stabilize the Shah's regime. So in order to account for the internal power struggles, it is important to understand how internal power struggles in Iran were managed. So in order to fill this gap, my research sheds light on the Iran's 
parliamentary politics. Um, I, here, I mean parliament, majority maybe, so not Senate. And by analyzing Iran's parliamentary politics, I would like to look into a rare opportunity where the Iranian opposition to participate in politics within the legal framework. And it provides a new perspective about the, the possible communication channels between the US and Iran's political opposition groups. So just to reiterate the, my research framework, um, I put several the key actors here. And so the primary goal of my research is to understand the nexus between Iran's internal power struggle and Iran-US relations. So this is the, like, the picture provided by previous research. So analyzing economic and security issues, previous research have provided the communication channels between Shah and his um, ruling party and the US. But then, um, I would like to highlight the presence of political opposition inside Iran. And then I would also like to address the issue how these um, internal power struggles have been managed. And in order to understand this point, my research sheds light on the parliamentary politics because this is parliament. Parliamentary politics is unlike the economic and security issues is a rare opportunity where the political opposition may participate. And then by analyzing this, I would like to look into the possible communication channels between the US and Iranian opposition. So that is the outline of my research. Then uh, this is a case study. So um, also my research is about Iran-US relations during the Cold War, but then my focus is 1960 elections. Why 1960s? There are two reasons. The first reason is related to the Iran's internal power struggle and the US interests at that time. So this point has been already discussed in the previous research, that the nexus between Iran's internal power struggle and then Iran-US relations was um, closely associated, especially in the 1960s. The one example is that in 1961, the Shah appointed Ali Amini as a prime minister based on the US advice, although Shah never liked him because Amini was one of the strong political rivals to the Shah. And then the second reason is related to the Shah's increase in controlling over elections by introducing the two-party system in 1957. So it allows us to observe the Shah's intention in controlling parliamentary elections by managing their political oppositions through parliamentary elections. And some of you, some of you may be interested in why Shah introduced the two-party system in 1957. And then I put um, several reasons. The first reason may be to demonstrate the facade of liberal democracy to his patron, the United States, and the second reason is to exclude junior opposition from the parliament. And the third one is to, to distribute parliamentary seats for his loyal supporters. And then this is the data I utilized. So the main one is, of course, the Hedi papers. 
And the Dahiri paper is housed in Hoover Library and Institute, Hoover Library and Archive. And then the Zahidi paper is, as Roma introduced, this is a variable uh, collection, including Persian primary sources of diplomatic documents and his private letters and photos. And for my research, it is very helpful to see the correspondence between the Iran and the US and the Iran and the USSR during the 1960s. And so this is a brief introduction of the Zahidi. So he's a key figure to understand Iran-US relations during the Shah's period. So Ardashir Zahiri is a son of General Fazola Zahiri, who served as a prime minister of Iran for two years after the coup. And Ardashir Zahiri himself became the ambassador to the US, ambassador to the UK, and the minister of foreign affairs. In addition, I used U.S. National Security Archive, available at Stanford Li Digital Library Service. And this archive contains correspondence between U.S. officials, especially those who work in the American Embassy in Tehran, and various political elites in Iran over parliamentary elections in the 1960s. So um, before uh, the analyzing the document, I'd like to give you the brief arguments or main findings. The findings from my archival research indicates that despite the presence of various political oppositions in Iran under the Shah, such as religious, leftist, nationalist, student groups, or communists, the United States exclu exclusively communicated with the Iran party rather than other opposition groups over parliamentary elections in the 1960s. And the Iran party is a nationalist and consists of Western educated intellectuals. I also found that this communication was facilitated by US concerns about fighting communism during the Cold War. Then what is the takeaway from these findings? I would say there are two contributions to the literature. The first one is about the contribution to the literature about Iran-US relations. So in the previous research, there were um, prominent and influential literature about the Iran's political opposition's behaviors or activities, including Nationalist National Front and Communist to the Party, and Islamic Black Mujahideen, the Liberals, Freedom Movement to Iran, and religious groups who eventually led to the 1979 revolution. However, our understanding of the nexus between these internal power struggles and the Iran-US relations is limited. So in order to fill this gap, this research uh, shed light on parliamentary elections and found the possible communication channels between the US and these oppositions. So, the ne nexus between domestic and foreign politics is one of the contributions. And the other one is related to the, the literature about international relations of electoral authoritarianism more broadly. So after the Cold War, scholars have been analyzed how does the linkage with Western democracy, such as foreign aid, foreign investment, and trade dependence 
influence the nature of the parliamentary politics in authoritarian regimes. And they usually conclude that the strong tie with the best is likely to promote democratization because the cost of electoral fraud is higher than the authoritarian regimes with weaker ties with the West. However, the major limitation is that they are mostly focused on the post-Cold War period, and our understanding of the outcome of the linkage with Western democracy during the Cold War period is limited. Um, although it is plausible that the context of the Cold War and the during the post-Cold War and during the Cold War is different. In contrast, my research provides one of the case of the parliamentary elections under authoritarian regime during the Cold War. So by analyzing Iran's parliamentary elections under the Shah, I provide the new perspective or new outcomes um, of the linkage with Western democracy. So during the Cold War, unlike the post-Cold War period, um, the linkage with the West does not necessarily associate it with the democratization, but rather it is associated with the cooperation of opposition groups and contributes to the survival of pro-Western authoritarian regimes. So that is the second contribution. And then I would like to move on to the analysis. So the analytical part consists of two elements. In the first part, I will examine the Cold War context. And then in the second part, I will analyze Iran's parliamentary election in the 1960s and communication between the US officials and Iran's opposition groups. So let me begin with the Cold War context. During my archival research, I came across the document to show the US view towards Iran during the Cold War. On August 6, 1986, Bernie Sanders, assistant of Henry Kissinger, met with Ardeshir Zahiri, foreign minister of Iran at that time. During their conversation, Sanders expressed his concern about communism, in, communism influence in the region saying that the communism seeks to penetrate into the area or the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and South Yemen. The Iran, which has been always conscious of this coveted objective and design of Russians, has been able to block the Russian penetration via Iran. So this um, correspondence clearly indicates the US seriously um, consider that the Iran is a vital ally in the region to block the communism influence. Also, it is uh, important to understand Iran's unique relationship with the USSR in the 1960s. During this period, the Shah wanted to improve his or Iran's relationship with the Soviet Union. In fact, in, the 19, in 1962, Iran improved diplomatic relations with the USSR, and in 1968, Iran agreed to sell the USSR $600 million worth of natural gas. And why did the Shah want to improve it, his relationship with the USSR? 
So there are several reasons, but one of the primary reasons discussed in the previous research is that the Shah wanted to balance between the two superpowers because he realized too much reliance on the US would put his political survival at risk. And I just quoted one of the sentences from the previous research which is relevant to this point. And given this background, the US, um, I also found a document to show the US closely looked at this de development of Iran-USSR relations. One of the documents shows the most important development in Iran's foreign relations in recent years has been the normalization of relations with the USSR since September 1962. So this is a report by the CIA published in 1964. And more importantly, I found a document to show that the US um, linked the Iran's domestic political institution weakness and the U.S. is a threat to the Iran's domestic affairs. Uh, one of the documents is provided by Alan Dallas, the CIA director at that time. He reported the resignation of the Prime Minister of Iran had paved the way for improvement of Iranian-Soviet relations. The Shah had announced recent elections and had installed a cabinet weaker than the last one. If Iran now engages in negotiation with the USSR, Iran will certainly not be leading. In other words, the US, concerned that the weak institutional politics in Iran could undermine its ability to negotiate with the USSR, the absence of a domestic institution with veto power over international agreement, including potential concessions by the Iranian government further heightened these concerns. Then I would like to move on to the second part of the analysis, the communication between Iran and the US over parliamentary elections. So although five elections held during the two-party system from 1960 and 71, my research focused on 60 and 61 elections for the 20th parliament. Um, this is because as far as I looked into the U.S. National Security Archive, the communication between Iran and the U.S. had frequently taken place during this period compared to other periods. And this is the full picture of Iran's opposition groups in 1960 and 61. Well, I said full picture, but then to full disclosure, I'm a not expert of Iran's political history at this time period. Well, I've been, I've been analyzing Iran's parliamentary election after the revolution, so it's actually my first attempt to analyze this period. So if you think I should add other opposition groups, please feel free, 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 free to let me know during the Q&A. So, but for now, let me move on. So among these uh, groups, National Front, the most influential opposition group. And the National Front is a nationalist, a political party, and anti-imperialist, like anti-Britain and anti-US, and they promoted oil nationalization. And although the National Front was the most um, influential opposition group, they were fragmented. So one is the <coughs> Front Party, 
consists of professionals in, and intellectuals educated in Western countries. The second group is the Pan-Iran Party, which was also nationalist, but then it was more like pro-monarchist. And the third group is the Iranian National Party. And according to the US documents, so this group was the most militant and best organized in organized group in National Front. And there was a freedom movement of Iran, and this is also affiliated with National Front, but it's featuring more affiliated with uh, religious people. And then outside of National Front, there is a socialist product party. And the product party used to be affiliated with National Front, but it split after it became clear that the National Front of the government was supported by the communist the party. And the Toyota party was consisted of intellectuals who gathered around the charisma of the leadership of Modern Party And then there was the communist Toyota party. The, but they were outlawed, so they didn't have right to participate in elections. And there were also university students and religious leaders who were dissatisfied with the dictatorship of the Shah. But then they were not so well organized compared to other uh, political officials. So um, given this background, the question is, which uh, group showed their interest in participating in elections? Because if you know, the election is manipulated by the ruling party or by the leader to favor, in order to deliver the favor favorable result for the ruling party, you have a choice to boycott the elections. So firstly, I investigated uh, which group showed their interest. And then the result was like this. The only two parties, the Iran party and the socialist Toyota's party expressed their interest in participating in elections. The another question, or more important one, is with which group the United States uh, contact over parliamentary elections? And uh, the result was like this. So the US frequently contacted with the Iran party rather than other opposition. And regarding the socialist Toyota's party, I also found several documents that the US reported about uh, its leader, Modern Khalid Bahai. So his uh, charisma, he's like, he's a good man, and he also supports another reform. But I didn't find any clear statement from Bagai to approach the United States. So the communication between US and the socialist Toyota's party was not so clear as that of the Iran party. So this is just brief introduction of the Iran party. So the Iran party, well, as I have already explained, they were European educated younger technocrats and their thoughts are like European style liberal and social democracy. And the founding members include Arafiyar Saliha, Kazim Hasibi, Karim Sanjabi, and others. And then this is just brief timeline of 60 and 61 elections. In short, this timeline is like chaos, but then there are several important points relevant to the communications. So in the 1960 elections, 
ruling party won about 50%, and the loyal opposition won about 23%, and others 24.5%. So almost 80% were shared by Shah's uh, parties. So, and then after the election, the massive demonstration happened by losing opposition and their supporters, um, accusing incumbent electoral fraud. And in the end, Prime Minister Egbar resigned and Sharif Emami replaced him. Subsequently, the Shah announced the election result and announced the second round of voting. And in 1961, the second round of voting was held. And as a result, the ruling party shared 30, about 37%, loyal opposition shared 23%, and others 30%. Uh, but again, after this election, a post-election protest happened. It was um, joined by mostly student uh, group. And then due to the pressure, the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Sharif Emami resigned and the Shah resolved the parliament and gave the new Prime Minister Ali Yamini temporary power to rule without legislative obstruction. And then the communication between U.S. and the Iranian opposition groups took place between these two elections. So I'd like to move on to the analysis. Uh, the first figure that the U.S. contacted with is Arafiyar Saleha, the leader of the Iran party. And Saleha used to be the ambassador to the U.S. during the Mossadegh government. Importantly, I found the document to show that the U.S. Embassy in Tehran acknowledged the Salihat's popularity, such as Salihat's overwhelming popularity in Kashan and to more extent throughout Iran. So Kashan is an electoral district where Salihat was nominated. And moreover, the U.S. acknowledged the Salihat's moderate attitude, saying that he or Saleha persistently tries to disassociate himself from the extremist nationalist elements. And the second figure that the US contacted with is Karim Sanjabi, another leader of the Iran party. During the discussion with the officials from the US embassy in Tehran, the Sanjabi said his group represented a more effective barrier to communism and the USSR than the unpopular men now in power. So this conversation clearly indicates the Cold War context. So although um, National Front or the, the Iran party affiliated with was overthrown by the 1953 coup supported by the CIA, but then still he showed the interest to approach to the US uh, reflecting the Cold War context. And there is another document to show that the United States intentionally select the opposition elites to contact with over parliamentary elections. It was shown in the communication between one of the National Front leader and the US officials. The one of the National Front leader, Gordam Hossein Sarigi, talked to the US official that while one could easily imagine Iran continuing its present relationship with America for 150 years, 
without losing its independence. If the Soviets were to gain the upper hand, Iran in its present form would have ceased to exist within five years. However, Sadegi still emphasized that Iran could accept grants, though not loans from the USSR if they were given. After hearing this conversation, U.S. embassies in Tehran evaluated like this. The Saleha and Sanjavi are more cautious or more aware of the danger of the Soviet penetration through economic means. So this evaluation indicates that the United States intentionally contacted with Saleha and Sanjavi uh, based on the Cold War context. And in the same report, I also found that the U.S. evaluated the popularity of the National Front. And finally, <coughs> I would like to move on to the analysis of the communication between the Shah and the U.S. officials. That was um, taken place after the dissolvement of parliament. So after the Shah dissolved the parliament, he asked the U.S. Ambassador Holmes an advice on parliamentary politics, saying that the free elections in the Western sense at present time in Iran is impossible. The choice then lay between elections of the traditional Iranian and ruled by degree without parliament for two or three years while reforms went forward. And he asked, which of choices would be the wiser attitude? And in response, U.S. Ambassador Holmes um, pointed out two important points. One is the danger of personal rule without the parliament. The other one is the volatility of personal rule from the public criticism. So in other words, Holmes recommended the Shah to have parliament in order to um, secure his regime. And in the end, in the 1963, the Shah held parliamentary elections and reopened the parliament. Of course, this communication is not a um, single factor that led to this outcome, but then it is still worth uh, mentioning at this point. And then to conclude, I would like to reiterate main findings. The findings of my archival research indicate that Despite the presence of various opposition groups in Iran under the Shah, the U.S. exclusively communicated with the Iran party rather than other opposition groups <coughs> through parliamentary elections in the 1960s. And their communication was facilitated by the U.S. concerns about fighting communism during the Cold War. So this is the contributions I have already explained, so I skip this. And then finally, I would like to briefly touch upon the future research. So although I have already um, discussed the communication between the US and the Iranian opposition communication, I didn't talk about the logic why. Why did the US communicate with the Iran party rather than opposition groups? I don't have any clear answer yet, but the possible answer could be the personal network of members of Iran party with the US, such as their position, political position as ambassador to the US, or their education background in Western countries, or their true popularity in Iran. Um, it is also plausible that the US foreign policy 
towards the Middle Eastern country in the 1960s related to this um, US attitude, uh, which may vary across uh, different administrations. So today's lecture, I discussed Iranian side, but I didn't look at US side. I'm still working on it. So if you have any thoughts about U US foreign policy during this period, please uh, feel free to share and join the discussion later. And for example, in Egypt, the United States contacted with Muslim Brotherhood during the 1960s, uh, not other like secular or nationalist uh, political opposition. So it might be interesting to compare US foreign policy towards the Middle Eastern countries, especially their contacts with opposition groups in authoritarian Middle Eastern countries in this period. So um, I stop it. This is the end of my presentation. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much.